0: Just had a great conversation with Andrew Murata and we actually have a lot of commonalities in our careers. We we're both teachers, both principals, worked central office. We actually both refed uh, basketball. He did it at a higher level than I did, but I won't hold them ag- against him. He he was really really good. I really enjoyed this conversation, and one of the things that really struck me about what he shared was he talked about a, a, a massive jump in improvement in their school, and I said, "Well, what was the thing that you did?" Like. Everyone's going to be wondering what was the one thing that you did. And long story short, he basically said, there is no one perfect thing that we did. And a lot of times we want to talk about, hey, we got this result because we did this thing. But oftentimes it's a combination of things that have benefited us and also iterations. But no, there's nothing that we could ever call best practice that is known to work for every child, no matter where we are. And if there was, everyone would know about it, and then we would all do it. And I think that's something that's really, really important, is that there is a modification in in the work that we actually do. And when he mentioned this, I I thought of an article I wrote years ago, and the title of it is Every Best Practice in Education Was Once an Innovation. And it refers to an Adam Grant uh, article and a comment, and I'll actually link the article so you can read it, down below, and there's a comment on the article that really stood out to me. It said, demanding proof stalls creativity. New ideas need room to breathe. And a good imagination will always be ahead of the best evidence. And I think there's a kind of a, a, a variation of that. That, yeah, we should use things that are proven to work, but all things that are proven to work, none of them are proven to work for everyone. And I think that's a really important aspect Of what we consider in education. And I made this chart, and you can kind of see it in front of you right now if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're not, you shouldn't be watching on YouTube. Give me a like and subscribe. That'd be wonderful. But I talk about the process of innovation, of innovative teaching and learning. And what I basically say is that every single thing that was ever that's ever been deemed best practice was once an innovation. It didn't just all of a sudden appear as best practice. Somebody said, There's something that we're doing that's not quite right. We need to figure out a different way. And then that thing that we do, done over and over again, that worked for many of our students, was then deemed best practice. But I also contend that no best practice works for every single person in the same way. And if you say to me, well, you know, we started doing this process and it is shown to work for 90% of our students, the first thing I will ask you is, what are you doing for the other 10%? How are you ensuring that they're successful as well? Are you just saying 90 is good enough? Or do we actually got to continuously iterate? And it doesn't mean that you scrap the thing that you're doing that works for 90%, but maybe you're iterating it. Maybe you're evolving with it. Maybe you're doing something totally different for a certain percentage of students where the, the best practice or whatever we call best practice doesn't seem to actually work. And so I thought that was a really compelling uh, story that Andrew shared. And it really made me think of that and really kind of thinking about how even the things that we know work, we also know they don't work for everybody. And so we have to kind of figure out different ways to serve everybody in our schools. And that was kind of the the focus. It's why I titled this podcast, There Is No One Perfect Strategy, because there isn't. There isn't one perfect strategy but we can learn from the things that work and the things that don't work and the things that kind of work, but it constantly takes that iteration. That's why I talk about the innovators mindset so much is that it's really, how do we take the things that we know and make them better or totally scrap them and start with something new to ensure Every kid is successful in our schools today and finds that path to success that's meaningful to them. That should be the goal of the work we do every single day. And I love that Andrew and his work and the district that he works with, This is, they're focused on this. I know you're going to learn a ton from him. I learned a ton from him. I really enjoyed the conversation. I know you will too. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. <laughs> everyone, this is George Crow, so welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I am blessed to have uh, a, a principal, former principal, uh, he works in central office right now, so don't hold that against him, right? Uh, teacher, referee, world traveler, been to the best places in the world, uh, Andrew Murata. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, his book, The Principal, Surviving and Thriving. He has so many great stories. I've been talking to him for the last hour and a half. We only recorded about ten minutes of it. I'll tell you, if you could hear that first hour, that was amazing. <laughs> oh, it's just we've just gone downhill since then. But um, Andrew, it, it's a wonderful to to kind of just. I know we met years ago and connected, uh, like uh, Lake Placid, bro. Cool sweater guy. Okay, yeah, that was like the that was like a, um Lake Placid was a superintendent event. Cause I actually remember it was like, it was, it was, it was at Sanis. Is that it like saying The
1: there's, there's school administrators in New York, Lake Plaston, you killed it standing ovation, but you had to run out. You had, you had to get, you right. get
0: home. So I remember, okay. So this is weird. I think I, okay. I might've flown into Rochester or something like that. I can't remember where I flew into, but I remember I had to like drive to Montreal to it's like, yes. like the weirdest, like what's the closest airport? Canada. <laughs> Right? Is that that seems right. And it was still th- you, that's where you were going. Yeah. Like it was just kind of in the middle. I know that's where what what was the Lake Placid? There what what there was a winter Olympics there, right? Oh yeah. Right. And that's like what it's known for. Miracle on ice, baby. I was gonna that's what I thought it was a Miracle. Oh yeah. I was actually in Lake Placid.
1: that was in Lake Placid. There's still that place is uh American lore for sure.
0: No wonder they won because everyone had to travel. Like <laughs> they, they were tired <laughs> the, but I stopped the plane and drove the six hours to get there. That's, that's probably why so that's, that's cool. Yeah. So I actually remember that conference, uh, very vividly because I actually connected with the, the organizer after the fact, and she's been, I can't remember her name. I don't know if you know, she, she's been wonderful to me. She's like,
1: Karen, uh, Karen Hodge, right?
0: Is it yeah. Karen? And she actually wrote a letter. So, uh, she wrote a letter for me so I could immigrate to the U.S. Wow. So yeah, wow, that's power. What you know what that means? Karen gets low. <laughs> so hey, anyways, let's let's talk about uh, let's let's learn about you, Andrew. So if you can just tell everyone who you are, what you do today, and how you got there, great place to start.
1: Yeah, thanks, George. It's an honor to be on with you. The work you're doing. I love listening to your podcast, your readings, and and certainly your sense of humor here. I mean, I, my my face hurts from laughing so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm Andrew Murata, school leader here in Port Jervis, New York. I got to give a shout out to the Raiders. Uh, we're an hour and a half northwest of New York City. I've been a school leader here for 20 years. Uh, and George, right? We're proud of where we are. Uh, I'm so invested here. Our graduation rate used to be in the 60s, and we're in the 90s now. Right, 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 right at that 90 mark and uh, great things are happening here so i'm, I'm honored to be here and, and be part of the work uh, that, that's been happening and through that journey right i've fallen in love with writing and presenting to other principles and helping others along the way so it's been it's been a great journey
0: okay so this this is the first question i'm gonna ask you're gonna see if you can share the secret i don't know if you're gonna keep this to everybody so if you went from 60 to 90 what was like what did you do like what what did you do that that changed
1: Yeah. Let's is this going to be the 24 hour podcast between me and you? Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and that, you know, that's what I was even that what you just said kind of stuck in my mind. Cause a lot of times people want to attribute a change like that to we did this one thing. Yeah. And then everything changed, but probably it's a combination of multiple things, but then it's also harder to quantify how what percentage of those multiple things you did led to it right like I think about that all the time because it's like you don't you don't know this one thing was the ultimate change if you're doing especially if you're doing four or five things in a district to improve stuff so like so like if you can even think of two or three things that helped you on that because I know it'd be you know probably you couldn't say all of the things all of the ways your district came together all the ways you're you know teachers really kind of implemented things and, you know, did, did them really well. So what what would you kind of say stuck out to you?
1: Well, and I love listening to your work, George, and you're so well-read and you, your memory of remembering what people said what. Uh, so in your style, I'm going to tell a little story. Malcolm Gladwell did a TED Talk called Choice, Happiness, and Spaghetti Sauce, right? And, and in, the, in the talk, uh, Howard Moskowitz wanted to come up with the best spaghetti sauce for the company, right? And he did all this work and all this research. And in the, in the talk, Malcolm Gladwell shares that there is no perfect spaghetti sauce, right? It's variety, right? Some people like chunky, some people like spicy, some people like uh, marinara, right? And it's the same in schools. There's no one perfect thing. There's no one perfect. Um, And it's, you know, like you just said, all of those good things moving forward uh, together. The first thing, the most important, is that we cleaned up the place, George. They used to allow smoking. There was smoking everywhere. The bathrooms were smoke. It was things were dirty. They were dingy. Think about the world we live in today. You go to an Airbnb or you go to a restaurant. If the front foyer is dirty, people are going to turn around. You know, people are going to, uh, you know. So we really cleaned up the place. Our hallways. Uh, used the word relentless before. If I saw graffiti, I, mean, it, it, I was I was wiping it off, but. My, my director of buildings and grounds was getting mad at me that I led the district in work orders because I wasn't tolerating, you know, that, that lesser uh, thing. Um, and then really uh, caring, right? What is an organic way? So the kids know th- that, that we care. Um, and it was, it was making those connections with kids. It was getting kids involved uh, in activities in school, right? You, you go through every kid and if they don't have an adult connection in the building, we, we make that we, we George Kuros is going to go meet that kid after school and get him involved in a club um, just being relentless in the connections with the kids uh, to get them invested in school.
0: I love that. Do you know the, the, the idea? So there's a couple of things that you said, I'm going to actually name the podcast. I wrote it down that there's no one perfect. Right. And because when people say to me, Oh, we got to be like using best practice. I'm like, no, first of all, no best practice works for everybody. There's, and if it did, somebody would have figured it out, sold it and be a billionaire right now, right? Because if, if you could figure out what's the thing that works for everybody, you, like you'd make so much money and, so, and somebody would make the money, okay? So all the best practice was once an innovation, right? Anything that we call best practice was once innovation. Somebody said, hey, things are not working and we got to try something different. Then they tried it. It worked amazingly well. And then we started calling it best practice. But I also would challenge that no best practice works for every single kid. So if you say to me, well, we did this and it worked for 90% of kids, the first thing I'll ask you is what are you doing for that other 10% then? Because that, that's a really important aspect. So I, that's something that really resonated with me that you just shared because I think a lot of times we want the one thing, but it's like, hey, there, there might be a thing that we're using, but you still have to modify it because every community is totally different in the way that we connect. The, the other thing that you said to, that I thought was really powerful Was, you know, just the, the, the environment of what the school looks like. I always talk about this. If you, I can tell so much about a principal, if they walk by a piece of garbage and what they do, do they pick it up or do they just walk by it? And if you, if you ignore it, there's like a, that's, that's a, that's a red flag.
1: The horn's going off, but not the nice horn, not the good horn.
0: (laughs) And I remember there's, there's two things. I really stuck with me. The first one is I remember actually going into an auditorium and going in there. And a lot of teachers were saying to me before, like, these kids are disrespectful. And I remember this conversation. I said, maybe it's because when you walk in, there's a portrait here and there's a giant crack in the middle of the portrait. And I don't think any of you noticed it. And and maybe it's because they're saying like, we don't really care enough about this building. And when that kind of says, we don't really care about you a little bit. And it is like, and we, and I always challenge people to look at everything in your school with fresh eyes. If it was your first day, what would you notice? Cause I, I you know, if I would have been there for years, I probably would have walked by it too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But I noticed it right away. I'm like, there's a giant crack. And that just doesn't, that's like, there's no sense of pride there. And even this weekend, so I went to the, the bucks game. I went to the Bucks game, uh, last night. And so that's Sunday and on Saturday. So I was taking my neighbor and, uh, I took him and I, I don't know him like very well. And I was like, Hey, do you want to go to the Bucks game? He's like, yeah. So on Saturday I'm washing, I, I go wash my car because where I'm driving to the game, I'm taking them. And I, so my daughters love wa- helping me wash my car and I like wash my own car. And I, I, I said, why do you think dad washed, wanted to wash his car say? And they said, well, cause you want it to look nice. I said, why do I want it to look nice? And I said, and I said, and they're like, well, just cause you want to look nice. I'm like, no, because I'm taking the neighbor and it's, to me, it's a sign of respect when you clean up the car for somebody else. Cause you're saying mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. value them that you want it to be, you know? So when people come to the house, like, and it, like we have this big thing about my daughter, oldest daughter has to pick up dog poop outside. And there's like dog poop by the pool sometimes. And I say Ooh. there's not to be poop. When anyone comes over to this house, it has to be cleaned up. You could do I know you do it twice a day, but listen, sometimes you do it in the midday. There's That's never there because it's it's disrespectful to people coming to our house. And and that's like, I, I just thought of that when you shared that. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Because ah, yeah, well.
1: the kids aren't going to learn if it's dirty, right? The kids are not going to want to be there if it's dirty. And, and, and we mentioned organically care. How is care shown? George, we had teachers... Call every one of their students and invite them to open house. What, what do we do as educators? We complain when people don't come, right? Ah, oh, they never come. I have teachers calling everyone. Do you think that attendance went up when they got a personal phone call from the teacher? Absolutely. Well, how, how do we get more people in schools? Things like that, right? Not, not one perfect thing, but had to be clean had to be just like people come to me, that school is my house i'm an owner here in port jervis that school is my house and i want them to feel comfortable just like your neighbor did uh, in your car
0: yeah and there it's just it just to me it's like uh it's a respectful thing i i mentioned in my in our last podcast um kelly wilkins and she was my principal and then i became a principal and she became associate superintendent and she lived in a different city but sometimes she'd have to come into where i live and she would get her car fixed and she would say, "Hey, can you pick me up?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, no problem." And that meant I would have to spend like the first night ahead of time, like cleaning my car. Because man, my car was disgusting when I was that. It was so gross. I like, I'm embarrassed about it. But by the time she got into it, and and she, it was so like it was spotless. And it was just like you know, I just throw stuff, whatever. And it was like there's, and you know, I'm I'm not like that anymore. But she always would laugh at that too. I'm like, wow, my, you know, you know, she's like, oh, your car's really clean. I'm like, yeah, oh, it's always like so she knew I was lying. And it was just kind of a funny thing. But it was like, to me, a sign of respect to her. There's no way I want, you know, anybody. doesn't matter your position. It would have been, to be honest, it would have been anybody at that time. No mm-hmm. one else is in my car. Um, that, that to me, it, it is like, you know, you're, you're welcome into a, a space that you actually have. And so tell us about your, you have like a kind of unique role now and you were telling me a little bit before the podcast what what do you what do you do now and like how how is it kind of something that is unique to maybe school districts that other you know other places could learn from
1: yeah and I'm blessed and fortunate right 20 years of being a building principal um I I was looking for a change you know you and I talked a little I'm speaking outside of school I'm writing but now I have an opportunity to do those things in, in my school. So I'm the director of communications and academic services. I'm leading professional developments that I would go somewhere else and do. But now I could do in-house at my own school. And really, like our friend Jimmy Costa says, George, I get I get to carry the banner for my school and community. I'm, I'm putting out social media posts. We had a student here in Port Jervis just did her first TED Talk in upstate New York. I got the video link. I took her picture. She was jumping in front of the school. We're going to send that out everywhere so people can celebrate the great things happening in Port Jervis. And if there was nobody here to do that, yeah, somebody might have pushed it out. But I I, I got a great focus on sharing the great things that are happening here. And I feel fortunate that after 20 years of being a leader that I, I'm so connected. I walked through the building the other day, right? And I was going to take a picture of the trainer. Uh, she's, she's new with us, right? Not only did I take a picture with her, I shot a video with her. And then my former students came in, uh, cause they were getting taped up and, and we wound up being all of us involved in this whole thing. But, uh, but a quick, you know, 30 second picture turned into a 20 minute. So now I have a picture of her that I'm going to push out. I have a video of her. And then I have a group shot that all celebrating the work of this lady who is new with us in the district. Oh. Um, and it's c- those kinds of organic things that I, I get to do.
0: Well, and you—you were—you mentioned when you were talking about this um, that you still have the opportunity to go speak, consult, work with other districts, and your contracts kind of set up in a way where you have some flexibility in doing that. And I—I mm-hmm. I was so blessed to have that opportunity as well, and it really changed things. And a lot, a lot of times, a lot of superintendents I've worked with, and I know you're—you know—you shared how much you appreciate your superintendent, the vision, his his ability to. Build relationships, take advantage of your strengths and still, I don't want to say share you, but like, you know, have some openness to, you know, giving you an opportunity to, to work in other places. And when I used to do this too, one of the things I think is really beneficial is like you go and you work with other groups and there's a sense that you go there and you share the great things that you're doing and they benefit from you. But I guarantee you that in those conversations, you're picking up stuff from them that you now get to bring back to your district. And maybe they're not exactly the same because you know your community is probably different as is every community. And so do you see that? There's that, do you have that experience where you have that benefit of like, even though you're sharing, you're learning, you're paid to come speak, you're paid to come, come consult. You still take away stuff that you bring back to your district? Do you, do you kind of see that as part of the process?
1: 100%, George. We're always learning, right? And as great leaders, you're always looking for ideas to bring back to your schools. I was in Ballard County, Kentucky, home of the bombers. And they were great people. I learned you know, so much from them. But school safety is a big thing, right? So people are, are boarding up water, uh, windows, right? They're blocking. They don't want the visual. Well, in Ballard County, they had it in their school colors with graphics of the school. So it wasn't just a window blacked out that you couldn't see. It was a graphic of the school. So it was showing the school pride, but also creating safe. I was like, bam, I, I want to get that. Um, oh. Their signage. It was incredible at their school, those
0: kinds of things uh, for sure. Oh yeah. So like you might, I don't know. Did you ref high school basketball too? Oh, you must have. I did. Yeah, sure. You can't just jump into college. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So, so one of the things I was a principal when I was in high school basketball and it was awesome. And in the sense, not, not only do I like, I like the refing, but I would do exactly what you just said. I would go into these other schools. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I love that. And I'm like, Hey, I was in the school last night. I saw this. Can we do something like that in our school? And like one of the, I can actually remember uh, Jasper place in Edmonton, Alberta. I walked in there and they didn't have like the old, here's our old principal, you know, like here's the, the wall of principals, here's the graduates from 77 and all that stuff. It was actually just pictures of current students and it was action shots. And it was just mm-hmm. such a good feeling. And I and I remember, and so I, I just loved it. But I don't think pictures solely make a place, right? Like there's there's obviously more to it. And I remember like I would always do this. I'd sit at halftime and there'd be students there, you know, at the games. I'm like, hey, do you like going to school here? And I remember one kid going, I love it here. Wow. I All the pride Wow! every day they walked in, they saw themselves on the walls. So I like went back to our school and said, like we got like all of our former principals and, and like, but no kids. And so kids don't, none of these kids care about this. I don't care about this. I'm the principal. And we got rid of those pictures and it was like interesting. And I was, I was sharing this with somebody We actually replaced all those pictures and put up pictures of current students in the building. Love it. And I talk about one of my things, one of my superintendents said to me, she said, what will be your fingerprints on the building after you leave? How will people there? And here's two things. Here's two options. One, I could have said, I'm going to be on that wall. And I'm going to be one of the principals in that line of principals. And you'll always know I was there because you'll see my picture up there. But my legacy is I challenged those pictures. We got rid of them and put kids up and there's still kids up in that building and nobody knows I was there and I don't care. Cause that's a way better legacy for me. Do you know what I mean? Like that to me matters. And I, and I would have never got that idea if I didn't actually go to other schools, you know,
1: but you're impacting change. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I mentioned about the smoking here in Port Jervis, right? Where whenever you see somewhere where you can't smoke George, what, what does it say? What does the sign say? No smoking, no smoking. That's that's all right. You know what it says in Port Jervis? It says we're proud to be smoke-free. We're proud to be smoke-free. Everything's written in a positive way, modeling what it should be. And that was something that I wanted there. Not there's no skateboarding, not there's no this, not there's no that. But what can you do here, right? And And those are the type things... A lot of positive signage uh, in, in the school, um, things like that. You know, the milk sign, right? Got milk, right? Ours says got pride. And there's pictures of our schools there and love the pictures of the kids uh, that you mentioned.
0: Well, they, so so there's a, they might be listening. I'm not going to say the school district, but I used to walk in. I was consulting with the school district for like half a year. And I would be like, everything says no. like I. Yeah. Can't. And then I would walk in with the same two people. And I would just do this. I'd be like, no, don't, no, don't, don't, no.
1: Prohibit it. Yeah. Right.
0: On their nerves. I'm like, do you see, you're telling kids, they can change the world, but they, they like, but no food or drink in the auditorium. Right. And uh, a gentleman uh, just really reminded me of his name is Dr. Martin Brokenleg. He came to our school and he said, I see the sign that you have. And it says, you know, for the safety upon arrival, please check into the office. And what you're saying to people right away is they're not safe. said well i understand what you're doing i understand that the intention behind it but what's the tone that you're setting so why can't you just say upon arrival we love to welcome all visitors please come check in at the office there you go and it it just that subtle change shifted so much when people walked in Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing too i don't know like we're i don't know how close we are in age but like (laughs) it's kind of funny like we like there was literally a smoking door at my high school. I don't know if you had that, right? And and it was like kind of funny because there was like a door specifically for kids to smoke, which was illegal, but they still could smoke. And it's just such a weird time to think about. Yeah. At the same time, staff would smoke in the faculty lounge, right? So like there's no smoking in the school except for the faculty lounge. So it might just show how Oh, yeah. we, had,
1: we had the rock. You could smoke at the rock. <laughs> like, no.
0: I'll uh, yeah. So that's just a weird thing. All right, so I I, I want to talk to you just quickly. Uh, I would just love to hear about your book, "The Principal: Surviving and Thriving." 125 points of wisdom, practical tips, and relatable stories for all schools. Um, tell us about all school principals. Tell, and I, I guarantee, knowing you, that whether you're principal right now, whether you're assistant principal, aspiring principal, whether you've you know worked at central office, whether you're a teacher, because I honestly think really leader is anyone that can influence people in a positive direction and i think a lot of times more principals should be reading teacher books and more teachers should be reading principal books
1: yeah sure
0: so tell us a little bit about the book and why you wrote it and what you hope it achieves
1: yeah, it was a great journey, man. I wanted to celebrate the, the good things that I learned, and I wanted to help people not just survive, right? So, George, we talked about cleaning up the school. And, and again, I love telling stories. So I, I grew up in my uh, working in my dad's pharmacy, and it was in a rough part of Staten Island. And every day there'd be graffiti on the building. And yeah. my dad was relentless in, in having a nice store. We spoke about your car. He wanted the store nice. So I'd get a bucket of paint, go out and paint it. The next day the graffiti would be there. Andrew, go back out there and paint it. And this happened for you know a week. And I said, Dad, this is a waste of time. And he said, Andrew, we're not gonna allow that. It's my store, so go out there and paint it. I'll get someone who will. And I painted it again, George. And I went out there and did it, and it was it was it it stayed clean. I I I was like, oh my God, there's no graffiti. And I was 13 at the time, and I, but I watched my dad's will. I watched my dad's relentlessness about having a clean store, and it's just, it was the same thing. So that is the second story in the book about be relentless to keep the place clean. Because if the principal doesn't care, why should anybody else, right? And and that's not something we learn in in principal school, right? We're learning about academics and curriculum and all that. But you have experts in the building to do that. You have your master teachers. You have your curriculum leaders. You know, you have to handle all of these things. Uh, another one, George, is, is energy. Bring the energy to the building. I think it's contagious. Um, I think people can hear it and feel it. It's an authenticity that I think is important. So I talk about a lot about that in the book. But there's short, little things that you could read and say, wow, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Implement and they're practical, real-life things.
0: You know, when you're talking about your dad and I, you know, I, I, obviously I talk about my parents and their oh, yeah. and things like that. And obviously they affected, I think, I think the the goal of any parent is my parents, I, I'll never say, Oh, I had the best mom and dad in the world. Right. I just don't say that. Cause I, you know, everyone says that. And I just, I, I didn't, I, I think my, my parents would tell you that there's a lot of things that they wish they had done differently when their parents and, The goal, the goal for me as a parent is to be better than my parents were. And that should be the goal of my kids when they're parents too, right? Like I think every generation should get better and we learn as we go. The thing that I, I saw something yesterday and for the first time, it kind of bugged me and not in a, like not, it didn't bug me the person that said it or anything like this, but it's like, we need to remove all barriers for kids. And I'm like, do we to remove all barriers because like, what, what are you doing then? So then, and and I I understand, like, I understand there's certain elements of life that kids shouldn't deal with. And I understand that, but I actually think like your dad kind of put up a barrier for you in that circumstance kind of was a little bit of a pain in the ass to you and you benefited from it. And so like there, there's, I don't know. I've been, I've been like, I, I like, I lost sleep over that last night because like i've heard that a million times but yesterday just kind of bugged me a little bit because i almost like sometimes i i know i'm hard on my kids and there's the whole do you prepare your the, the road for your kids or the, your kids for the road because the, the second is what i'm doing i'm not oh, yeah. like g- like doing everything so that they have no issues i'm actually creating issues for them sometimes if- i've
1: i've said to my kids you you'll thank me when you're older Right, Right? you'll thank me, right? I remember saying to my dad, "You know, I hate you." I said that when I was a kid, because (laughs) and and I regret it now. I get I get teary eyed thinking about that. I actually said that, uh, but he was the man, and and we have to model that. I don't think it's the word barrier, uh, George. I think it's the expectation. This is the expectation. This is the expectation in this school. This is the expectation in this family, and you got to model it. You got to be consistent. You got to continually enforce it.
0: Yeah, there's. Yeah, and, and, and that's why, because, like, you know, I I'm, you and I are both kind of, like, wrestle with these ideas, and that's kind of, like, I that's why I wanted to ask you, because I'm like, why am I bothered by that? Am I missing something? Like, maybe there's a little bit of different context we got to be thinking about that, too, because I think, you know, some of those obstacles actually benefit long-term. And th- I don't know if you ever saw the the Shaq documentary. It was so good. Like, it was really, really good. Yeah, and no, huh? his dad was, like, hard on him. And that's why he became Shaq. Like there's a lot of guys that are Shaq size that never became Shaq. Sure. Right. And the one thing he said, you might not like the way I do things, but you'll love my results. I remember him. That was like, I love that. And I like, I I was like saying that for like a month to my kids (laughs) after. I'm like, you know, like how I do things, but you'll love my results. Right. Just from that, Um, that, that, that to me. uh, So there's just something I was thinking about. All right. So I'm going to ask you this one last question. I know you refed NCAA basketball. What, what an amazing, you know, to, for anyone who doesn't really understand, that's like basically is, is one of the highest things you can do. And, and, uh, there is NBA that you can do, but some people, their aspiration is college because that is the end all be all for them too. Right. Like that is the pinnacle, uh, to, you got a, a good reffing story is there like one reffing story that you know you could utilize that is like a really good reffing story but also might be pertinent to educators listening to this uh podcast? yeah
1: yeah thanks george and you mentioned uh you know the principal a bunch of times i wrote tales from the hardwood there's a, a lot of leadership lessons there um you know and i share and they absolutely all uh yeah. relate uh and there's so many uh i could choose from but just thinking off the off the top of my head, um uh, I went to a tryout, George. You know this. You have to go to a tryout. So you think about job interviews. You think about when you're starting out. And I get to the tryout, George, and there's a hundred names on the list. And the lady hands um, the paper, and my, I don't see my name. And she's like, "Oh, oh." And then she says, "Oh, oh, you're Morada," and she crosses out number sixty eight, and she puts my name in. So now I'm like, "What? I wasn't even on the list." So now I, I was mad. I spent 500 bucks, George, on a plane, in a hotel, away from my family. I got to that room. I, I was I was pissed. I'm like, what? This is ridiculous. You know, people say it's politics. People say it's this. People say it's that. Well, I woke up the next day, and I I looked in the mirror. I said, well, you know what? I, I'm going to show these guys. I was, Screw this. And I went in there with determination and focus, and I ran my ass off, and I got hired. The uh, supervisor walked on the course. A true story, George. He put his hand on my shoulder. He said, "I don't know who you are or where you're from, but you're hungry, and I want you on my staff." Yeah, and that's that's how I got hired. Uh, and I'm grateful to John Clockerty, uh, ACC and Colonial supervisor, uh, for believing in me uh, there. But I could have I could have packed my bags and went home. Right when things don't go our way, you know.
0: Yeah, you know. So I, I like I, you know. Basketball is such a big part of my life. When I was a kid, I tried out um, for like a, a provincial team, right? So state, provincial, same thing. And I was in the city. They didn't know who I was. And I played really, really well. And But I didn't make the team. And I was mad. This is like, I was like grade eight, grade nine or something like that. And then one of the coaches, he coached against me when I was in grade 10. And I, I, his name was Bill Yeeman. I remember him. He's like, I love the man. But I didn't love him then. <laughs> and he didn't pick me. And I like, I think I scored 40 points in grade 10 on them. And I just, remember me now, do you remember me now? <laughs> I remember. And I was like, and this is also, uh, you know, this is also the time of like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man. So like, I'm doing the, I'm doing like that ear thing. And like, and we, like, we laughed about it after, but I remember I was like, for years, I held on to that too. And like th- that, I know that sounds, this is kind of going back to the, the barrier thing. If I wouldn't have been overlooked. Uh, I think, I don't know if I would have done as well, you know, like there is a little like, Hey, I'll show, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you that you, you made a mistake, right? Tom Tom Brady, you were at the Bucks game the other night. Think about that. <laughs> he was drafted
1: all those years later, yeah. but I think, you know, relating it to education, you have a bad day at work. Are you, are you gonna, uh, you know, I'm going to take a sick day tomorrow or are you coming back with a vengeance and have an incredible lesson plan. So detailed and so engaging to the kids that they are giving you a standing ovation yeah where's that grit come from where's that resilience come from oh, it comes from when you get your butt kicked and you you spite. show up again spite <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, hey man it, it, everyone if you're listening I, I highly encourage you to connect with andrew you can see all his contact information check out his books check out his website it's awesome to talk to you man we got to do this more often if you're ever in orlando we got to hit up a magic game and we can uh criticize the refs from the stands and uh, lots of fun
1: Let's do this, man. We'll do another one. We'll talk officiating. We'll talk about leadership and officiating. Come back on.
0: 18 hour podcast. I can talk about <laughs> everyone. This is I can see by the YouTube time. You know, as soon as I ask Basil questions, that's where everyone drops. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. I say that now because they've all left. But anyway, <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. For the two people that stayed, but Andrew, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Uh, really great to talk to you. I, I hope people connect with you after the after the show.
1: Keep surviving and thriving, George. All
0: right, thanks, brother. Have a wonderful day, everyone.